This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of Pistown, Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. Check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash district sentinel. News has it that Trump lawyer Jenna Ellis, you've seen her appear at various Rudy Giuliani press conferences, part of Trump's legal team challenging the election. She has tested positive for coronavirus as well. By my count, this this is, I think, the third super spreader event associated with the White House that we might be in the midst of right now. Do we know what this uh, what this event is other than Rudy just going around the country trying to uh, trying to overturn various election outcomes? That in itself is an event. So, um, but apparently she attended a holiday party uh, last Friday at the White House as well. So maybe that's the event too. Seems like the White House is the uh, number one place in Washington, D.C. for coronavirus infections. Yeah, that or some bar on Capitol Hill that Republican staffers go to like bull feathers bull feathers, bull feathers is what you're thinking of. Yeah, there I, there I, was I, the uh, the photo that was going around this weekend of of a bunch of uh, what looked like one can assume they are Republicans uh, Repu- staffers in bull feathers, windows closed, no one wearing masks, just incredibly grim. I wouldn't walk into bull feathers with a hazmat suit on right now. <laughs> I just can't, I really cannot imagine risking my life to go to Bullfeathers. (laughs) December 8th is also the safe harbor deadline for states uh, where they're supposed to have all their electoral votes counted, certified. Uh, And it's uh, a sign that Trump's challenge here, Trump's attempts to cling to the White House despite losing the election, are really failing now at this point. Uh, You've passed a critical deadline. Your legal challenges have all uh, mostly been defeated. There is one that has been appealed to the Supreme Court where Ted Cruz has promised that he himself will argue the issue of Pennsylvania's uh, (laughs) mail-in ballots before the Supreme Court. He will represent Trump's case. He will argue before the court if that happens. But... uh, you know, Trump's legal team now has COVID. So <laughs> the coup is not going well, friends. The coup did not work. No, and there there is a long shot. There's a Hail Mary. Uh, the state of Texas is suing Georgia, Michigan, and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin to try to get their electoral votes for Biden tossed out, basically saying that their rules for pandemic voting um, violated something. It's not really clear. I know that... Probably um, they've been pushing equal protection a lot that people were uh, who were allowed to use mail-in balloting didn't have to be subjected to the same sort of uh, oversight as people who went into a location and voted. Yeah, I know that states can sue each other directly before the Supreme Court for certain 
interstate conflicts. You might recall uh, there was a suit filed by Nebraska against Colorado over legal weed. Uh, I hope uh, nothing comes of this. I don't think anything will, but who knows? I mean, this, this looks like it could be, you know, Trump obviously talking about how uh, he's got the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is on his side. It didn't look like they were going to get a chance to hear anything related to the election until now. And they, they, if they want to, there's nothing stopping them from from agreeing to hear this. Yeah, I mean, I'd they be need, so, I'd be so embarrassed. Four, what four out of six conservatives to agree to hear this? Yeah, I'd be so embarrassed if my home state sued another state over weed. <laughs> Nebraska listeners, get your state in check. Come on. I'm from Florida and I'm saying this. Got to give Nebraska a wedgie for that one. All right. It is Tuesday, December 8th, 2020. Here's the news. Joe Biden is already fretting about pandering to the right. Cedric Richmond, the congressman appointed as a top presidential staffer by Biden, said last night that the White House will hire someone dedicated entirely to conservative outreach. Richmond made the comments at the Wall Street Journal's CEO Council. According to Bloomberg, he said that he's looking at setting up the office now, quote, because it's about moving forward, we cannot stay where we are. It's unclear exactly what this will entail. Maybe a beer summit between Neera Tandon, Jack Posobiec, and QAnon guys. Oh, God, I'd love Richmond, that. <laughs> Richmond did mention one place where this could lead, an infrastructure bill, Maybe they should look at hiring an infrastructure point person instead of someone hired to coddle reactionaries. Either way, he called on Congress to consider, quote, a very quick infrastructure bill to put people to work, rebuilding our crumbling infrastructure, making the country greener and cleaner. Granted, Richmond doesn't have the best record of making things greener. As we noted on our November 17th show, he was one of 28 House Democrats to vote in favor of building the Keystone XL pipeline and has voted for numerous Republican bills gutting environmental regulations. He has also earned the ire of the Sunrise Movement for avoiding meetings with his own constituents who live in Louisiana's Cancer Alley and have been sickened by industrial pollutants. In that vein, Richmond struck a familiar tone on Monday night when he told the CEO Council this, quote, Nobody's going to persuade me that somehow, some way, that CEOs in this country are bad people. Richmond said that corporate executives are, quote, creating jobs and they deserve a seat at the table. Finally, someone will make sure that both CEOs and conservatives are heard. It's been a while. Joe Biden has selected former General Lloyd Austin to be his defense secretary. Austin, who retired from the military five years ago, would need a special waiver from Congress to take over the post, since defense secretary is a role normally reserved for a civilian. Trump's defense secretary pick, Jim Mattis, also required a waiver. You might remember that. And already, two Democrats have come forward saying that they would not support a waiver for Austin to be confirmed. Austin served in the Obama administration, presiding over an increase in troops in Iraq as the war's commander. Also, Austin also has significant ties to corporations. He is a partner in an investment firm, Pine Island Capital, which as reported by the Daily Poster, 
has been boasting in corporate documents about its ties to powerful officials who can help score contracts for corporate clients, including trying to profit off COVID mitigation contracts that will be offered by the incoming Biden administration. Austin also sits on the board of defense contractor Raytheon, major supplier of munitions that are used and sold all around the world. The pick represents a rebuke of requests made by progressive lawmakers Barbara Lee and Mark Pocan to the Joe Biden transition team to not select a Pentagon chief with ties to the military-industrial complex. Liberals, however, are touting the Austin pick as he would be the first African-American to lead the Defense Department in its history. More news about the Department of Defense. Pentagon leaders today lashed out at a report showing that civilian casualties in Afghanistan caused by U.S. and coalition forces are at an all-time high under the Trump administration. The Costs of War Project at Brown University said that coalition airstrikes in Afghanistan killed 700 civilians last year, the highest annual number since the U.S. invaded Afghanistan weeks after 9-11. Between 2016 and 2019, civilian casualties caused by coalition airstrikes were up 330%. The research said that the spike was caused by the Trump administration loosening the rules of engagement on airstrikes. The Pentagon responded by calling the study one-sided, claiming it, quote, ignores civilian casualties caused by the Taliban and ISIS. AFP noted that coalition strikes have decreased in Afghanistan since February when President Trump announced a preliminary peace deal with the Taliban, but Afghan air forces have stepped up to fill the void. According to the Cost of War Project, they have killed 86 civilians in the first six months of this year. The U.S. airstrikes haven't stopped entirely either. The Cost of War Project flagged two such attacks in October, causing mass civilian casualties. On the 26th, the U.S. killed three children in a strike that killed a Taliban commander. On the 22nd, the U.S. hit a religious school, killing 12 children and wounding 14 civilians. The sources for these attacks, for the record, were the New York Times and the BBC, not the Taliban and ISIS. The FDA has approved of emergency use of the Pfizer coronavirus vaccine. But according to a report published by the New York Times, the White House did not purchase enough vaccines from Pfizer to distribute to everyone in the United States. The administration also turned down subsequent offers to purchase more doses. Pfizer has made deals with other countries, which could force the U.S. to wait until June to order more available vaccines. President Trump issued an executive order, seemingly in response to this report, ordering drug makers to prioritize shipment of the vaccine to the U.S. above other countries, Unclear how such an order would be enforceable, and a top scientist heading up the government's Operation Warp Speed to distribute the vaccine admitted he had, quote, literally no idea what the executive order was about. Meanwhile, with a COVID vaccine just weeks away, the Senate Homeland Security Committee convened a hearing to receive testimony from a panel of quack doctors casting doubt on a vaccine and instead hawking their own treatments for the virus. The witnesses were invited by Republicans who control the committee, prompting Democrats on the panel to boycott the proceedings. One of the witnesses was Dr. Jane Orient, a notorious newsletter publisher who advocated against quarantines, masks and lockdowns and instead demanded the FDA approve the widespread use of hydroxychloroquine for in-home COVID treatment. Once billed by the White House as a miracle drug to treat COVID, 
Subsequent medical studies have shown that hydroxychloroquine provides no benefit above a placebo. Another witness at the hearing advocated for a herd immunity approach to the pandemic, claiming that lockdowns cause more damage than the virus itself. Bernie Sanders is pressuring Chuck Schumer to fight for another $1,200 check in the next stimulus deal. Schumer and other Democratic leaders recently came out in support of a $900 billion deal negotiated by centrist Republicans and Democrats. It doesn't, it doesn't include any stimulus checks for anyone, which Sanders said is unacceptable, urging Schumer and other Democrats to, quote, fight for a working class in America today that is hurting in a way that we have not seen in recent years. According to The Hill, Sanders told reporters that he's going to try to ensure that, quote, working families in this country get a direct payment of $1,200 and $500 for their kids. He also said he was reaching out to Josh Hawley, who is attempting to live up to his efforts to brand himself as a populist by urging President Trump to veto any legislation that doesn't include a check. Hawley reportedly spoke to Trump by phone about this last weekend. Personally, I wouldn't call 911 if I saw Hawley having an aneurysm on the street, but I understand why Bernie would want to work with a fellow lawmaker to get us all our money. Sanders said, quote, I've talked to Senator Hawley, and I hope very much he can rally some other Republicans. I think Trump supporters out there, like everybody else, are hurting right now. A report released yesterday by Moody's Analytics found that almost 12 million Americans will owe an average of $5,850 in back rent and utilities by January. Finally, the Federal Trade Commission is cracking down on violators of the eyeglass rule. What is the eyeglass rule, you ask? Well, it's an FTC regulation that requires eyewear prescribers to give their patients a written prescription immediately after an examination. They're not allowed to require an additional fee for the prescription or a liability waiver or withhold the prescription until a customer purchases a certain brand of eyewear. I didn't even know this rule existed. Sam Knight, who is blessed to have good eyesight, I'm guessing didn't know this rule existed either. Nope. The prescription is supposed to be offered even if someone doesn't request it. There's also a contact lens rule that stipulates the same thing for contact prescriptions. The FTC announced on Tuesday that it sent letters to 28 prescribers warning them of violations of the eyeglass rule after receiving specific complaints. Prescribers can be fined up to $42,350 per violation. I don't think that there's any kickbacks to anyone who reports the violation, so don't go around. Don't try it. The scam won't work. All right, that's the show. No poetry today, so uh, get your friends or you yourself. Subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com slash district sentinel, so we can write you a haiku. We've got a brand new chip chat tomorrow. Join us Thursday on Means TV for a brand new Means Morning News, and then back here Friday for the Garbage Can Show. We're in D.C., so you don't have to be.